What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Here, is this the before or the after? This is before, even though it's after. Oh, wow. You're um, all in for such a treat coming yeah, up. We just talked to Alicia Graf Mack, who uh, has this incredible podcast called Moving Moments, which we've been listening to uh, for the past few weeks. Yes, she has wonderful guests, many of whom are friends of our very podcast, mm-hmm. Wendy Whalen and James Whiteside and others who we, we've not had on our big our, icons uh, of the dance icons. world. And uh, you'll, you'll hear many, many more great guests coming soon. Um, I'm she's so, incredible. I'm I jealous know, I feel of the Juilliard so, students. Me too. And I feel really glad and, and full of hope that mm-hmm. someone like Alicia, who's like curious and experienced and educated and she's really, she's got it all. And I feel like she's really understands like what these students need. I love yeah. That. I was pretty, uh, shocked by the the organization i'm like this is i've never heard of this i mean i'm not too familiar with a lot of schools um but this feels so genius i know i really make i'm jealous because i it makes me feel like my own college education in dance was like so remedial anyways yeah. Um, well, isn't that amazing how, like, some things actually are improving in the world? Truly. It's really great. Young, so, young people. Um, get your dancing tickets and uh, enjoy this conversation. Yay! <laughs> that was Broadway. <laughs> I was just saying that your whole bio is like really nicely sort of tied up on James's podcast front row, but I don't think you talk about where you grew up. Mm. Right. I am from Columbia, Maryland, originally. Um, My parents still live in now Ellicott City, which is just like one street over from Columbia, Maryland. And I trained at two schools, first at Kinetics Dance Theater, which was a really a modern dance-based school. Um, When I was little, we did a lot of creative movement and then it got into improv. And I realized now that we were doing very sophisticated things, but we were children, you know. Uh, And then when I was 11, my coach, Donna Pidel, started teaching at that school. Uh, And then she eventually opened her own ballet school. And that's really where I received my more rigorous ballet training. And I went to SAB for two summers and ABT for a summer intensive. And I did um, the International Ballet Competition in Jackson, Mississippi. And I also did um, an International Ballet Competition uh, called the Vaganova Grand Prix, actually right in in St. Petersburg. Uh, (laughs) And I, yeah, I competed (laughs) in the Marinsky Theater um at 15 years old which is kind of crazy wow, um, really did so it. that was the yeah my beginnings and i joined dance state of harlem at 17 years old it's too young it's too young. <laughs> it's so young i mean that's sort of i mean that's a good intro to this question that i had which is about becoming the dean and director of juilliard school and having this history of being a student mm. and uh what your thoughts were. I mean, I love this. I love your story about a- applying for this job and being like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get this job. I'm just going to do whatever <laughs> I want and be myself and like, just go mm-hmm. do it. And, and I, which I think really sets you up for a successful mm-hmm. job mm-hmm. having, if you do get the job, because then you haven't presented or promised anything outside of yourself. That's right. And can, continue being yourself. Yeah, that's right. I had, you know, a very interesting dance career that was marked with um, several times uh, with me leaving the dance world. And the first time was very hard, but I realized that being on a college campus 
was something that was so healing for me. I loved the idea of being surrounded by uh, people who were there to learn more or to better the world with the information that they were receiving. And uh, it was a way for me to learn more about who I am and the other things that I may be interested in doing. So I knew already that like the college world, college campus was something that I really uh, connected to. And then I, uh, so I, I had my undergraduate uh, education at Columbia University and then uh, many years later, I went to Washington University in St. Louis and I studied nonprofit business management um, for my master's. And again, it was another time where I was like, this is awesome. It felt like being a dancer, honestly. You know, the, the day you spend mm -hmm. getting to know yourself better, right? Getting to know um, how to approach things in a different way and just really uh, educating yourself. So uh, after I finished uh, my master's degree, I started teaching in the university system uh, at Webster University first. And I love this age because they are right on the precipice of their careers. It feels very urgent, like they know what they want to do. There's no kind of like, well, maybe I kind of want to. No, it's, this is what I've decided that I want to dedicate my life to. And then there's this scholarly practice and embodied research, and we can have all this discourse, and we can talk about it and analyze it and break it down. And, and the students also are at the point that they're discovering who they are. So it feels like a very special age. Mm -hmm. And when the job opportunity came up to apply for a Juilliard dance, um, I'm not part of the Juilliard family of alumni. And really, I had never even set foot mm -hmm. in the building before I had my interviews. Mm -hmm. um, but I had become familiar with dance in higher education. And I felt that there were so many things that were wonderful about studying dance in higher education and, and <laughs> many aspects that are not really exactly aligned with a professional career. So that's how I approached mm -hmm. the interview. And I talked about what I've seen in higher education and where I think Juilliard being, um, you know, kind of seated uh, in the top tier of schools, how it could continue to innovate and grow and be the most inclusive place for young dancers. I saw that um, you've recently <clears throat> added Tommy DeFrance to your kind of group of educators at yes. Juilliard. And I want to, I, got my master's degree at UArts and so worked uh, with Tommy over a couple of years in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. I was so excited for a program like Juilliard to like bring in this person with all these huge ideas and introduce them to such young people. And I was yeah. really curious like how that decision came about and how that's mm -hmm. all going. Yeah, thank you for asking about that. Uh, so this is my fifth year at Juilliard and over the last three or four years, I've been completing a, a, a curriculum change. It takes some time, you know, for things to start to turn over. And um, we were looking at the entire curriculum from a more inclusive lens. And we wanted to make sure that all of our curriculum, not only our dance classes, which we have uh, diversified even more, adding West African and requiring hip hop, um, and making sure that we also not only um, cover foundational classes like Horton and Graham and Lamone and ballet, but also that they're getting more contemporary techniques so they have contemporary floor work and they have gaga and um, more contact improvisation and other things like that. But we also wanted to make sure that their music studies classes and their dance history classes and their anatomy classes came from a more um, multicultural perspective. And uh, our first years take dance history with Wendy Perrin, and they are really looking at now, um, instead of trying to do a huge sort of summary of all dance history everywhere in one year, which is impossible, and um, you know, historically has been problematic, I think, for schools to try to cover everything because essentially 
when doing that, it really only covers one sort of strand of, um, of history. So uh, we've decided for our first years coming in to contextualize Juilliard in terms of Juilliard's place in dance history. Um, having been founded in the early 1950s by Martha Hill, um, the first uh, teachers there were Martha Graham and Jose Lamon and Anthony Tudor. So thinking about really the seed of modern dance in America um, and how various branches of lineage formed from, from there. So instead of, like I said, trying to cover everything, which is impossible, they're really understanding where they are studying um, and how they are connected now to that history. Uh, and so in the second year, now they have Professor Tommy DeFrance. And we're looking at this class more as a, a critical dance studies class. So uh, looking at history from the lens of identity. Um, basically, he's been bringing in speakers once a week to talk about their own lineage and how their practice has been influenced by their culture, by their teaching, what they learned when they were um, coming up, and also uh, choreographers who have uh, influenced them. So really uh, trying to understand how dance history unfolds on so many different levels and planes and not just chronologically. Uh, so this <coughs> semester we've met with Rashida Bombre, who um, she works in uh, dance theater and really uses um, black cultural narratives in her work. We've uh, met with William Forsyth, uh, talking about his um, choreographic process and how he's really utilized ballet as part of his um, uh, choreographic language and using this idea of shape and form as a jumping off point for the rest of his work. Not only actually uh, dance choreography, but also he, um, you know, has a as a exhibit called choreographic objects, and he talked about how he sees his various um, exhibits and galleries as choreographic, although it's you know um, visual art. Um, and we also met with Raja Feather Kelly, who's just outstanding uh, person, artist, creator, and. Raja also talked about his creative process in theater, in dance, on film. Uh, and I think it really allowed the dancers to see the possibilities of the field and also um, their own possibilities of what they'd want to do upon graduation. Right. I feel like when I was doing undergrad and I went to SUNY Purchase, but mm -hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't finish because then I went to like be a ballet answer but we didn't have like there was like one kind of version mm -hmm. of like how you move through dance academia and then into a professional career in dance and it feels like it was only several years later that I was like oh that like does not exist for many people so why are we not in the college setting like being given examples mm -hmm. of like the many different ways of existing in dance outside of this sort of centralized trajectory. Yeah. So it's so exciting that like suddenly these students are like receiving a kind of information that wasn't available before. That's right. And I think part of, um, you know, my charge at Juilliard is to continue to be a champion for equity, diversity and inclusion. And uh, currently our student body is so beautifully diverse in terms of race, in terms of body type, in terms of the things that they want to do upon graduation, the skills that they bring in. And I think it's really important that when you're studying dance history that you're seeing other perspectives on uh, cultural narratives, mm -hmm. on um, you know world history practices. We, we spoke with uh, Ananya Chatterjee, who is an, uh, an Indian um, a feminist artist and I think that really opened the eyes for students who you know have never studied Indian dance or have um, thought about 
uh, choreography as a way of um, revolution and protest and um, how you communicate your ideas mm -hmm. to the world. Uh, and it's so special to, to feel like you're seen through this beautiful history that we've made in the dance world. It's important to uncover those histories. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the lens of lineage is something I've been focus on, fo focusing on pretty heavily in terms of like the AIDS Oral History mm. Project and this, this feeling of losing a generation mm -hmm. and then having this gap where you're kind of like, oh, I'm, how do I get in touch with like this mm. lineage? So it, I, it just feels so, inc this idea of, of not trying to cover everything, but to give this sense that like each institution and each person has a lineage that is strange and unique and, and is like, like we've really leaned on this idea of chosen family. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you can have a lineage that's like based on your birth right or whatever um, but then artistically everyone gets to sort of uh, be inspired by whatever touches mm -hmm. them and take on that lineage and generate it forward to other to future mm -hmm. generations so this I mean and it reminds me of this thing I, I when I went to Parsons I asked a professor like why they were teaching at Parsons rather than like Harvard which I didn't know was an offensive question to ask because I was literally like, I'm trying to figure out what it is I'm doing mm -hmm. here. And I don't, I just kind of ended up here randomly because of like the internet. <laughs> um, so this idea of like actually giving an answer to that question of like, what is this place? Who are mm -hmm. we? Which is the unifying center of this school is the school right. itself. Um, and then bringing in people to give their own lineage mm. stories and to also like bridge into the next generation yeah. it's really beautiful yeah i think the idea is not to be so i mean the idea is to be somewhat wide because we want to open the mm. dancers worlds but then also be deep and be rigorous in the practice of discovery right. and curiosity and professor de france is so wonderful at having the students ask questions and realize that that's actually the practice of an artist is to keep asking yourself questions of why or how mm -hmm. and then to continue on. So it's been wonderful. And actually, the first question he asked the students after asking their, you know, learning their names and their pronouns was, um, where did you first dance? And almost everyone answered like, a studio down the street or uh, you know my sister was in dance and so I went into dance and then he said well let's think a little deeper when was the first time you danced and almost everyone said uh -huh. oh it was with my dad in the kitchen we would battle when mom was cooking or with my grandmother or um, in church <laughs> or and you realize that there's such a rich history of dance and movement, and really our first teachers were probably not formal dance teachers, right? Like I danced at home because <clears throat> music moved me and then my family danced with me. Mm -hmm. right. um, yeah, it's this idea of, uh, of identity and how close dance is in our DNA, is so closely tied in our DNA. Yeah, I think that I think that I think where it ends up going deeper is when you set up a situation, this in this kind of situation where the the students are are there to find to connect, like it's so it's not like an mm -hmm. art history class where it's like here's here's this history, like know this information, rather than like this dynamic of like these are, here are all these things that like we have to choose from and to, to mm -hmm. touch and have experience with. Uh, yeah, I, I think, think it's uh, so another... Go ahead, Alicia. <laughs> oh, no, another aspect is that, um, you know, the history of dance around Lincoln Center and then the idea of uh, mm. not only Juilliard history, but 
um, New York City Ballet and Balanchine and Robbins and now Ratmansky and how this grows and the students I've worked with, you know, Justin Peck, and they're starting to see, oh, wow, all of these things mm -hmm. kind of grow like a tree multidimensionally and not like this person follows this person and this person follows this person because then they study with Kyle Abraham and they're like, wait a minute, and you just worked at City Ballet and now your work is changing because of this and that. It's, it's really an eye-opening place to be. I think you can get a, a good bird's eye view of, of how things unfold. Right. And it sounds like when, when I was having a dance history education, it really centralized certain things off of which sort of everything spoke. But I think the kind of information that's now being imparted to, to your students at Juilliard, like now centralizes a lot more things and acknowledges the way in which all these things have existed and helped one another without centralizing these like specific figures that are, you know, in my history have just always been reiterated as like the source. And you're like, there are many, many sources. That's everybody great. has like taken information from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even in the ballet world. And I think, you know, many times when we learn dance history, we learn uh, in the United States, we learned about Diaghilev, we learned about Ballet Russe, and then we, uh, you know, uncover that history and then how various people um, either rejected or reacted to the history of ballet unfolding. Right. So we wanted to um, make sure they understand ballet history, that's very important, but also understand many different histories. Yeah, Tommy did this really interesting thing in one of his classes where he really centralized Catherine Dunham as kind mm. of like a place off which many things have spoked. And it, it really, created a kind of shift for me about like what is American dance history and what are the possibilities mm -hmm. of shifting political culture with dance and it did a, it did something for me that had not previously been done in, in a in a my understanding of dance history so I'm so I'm so like hopeful and glad that Tommy is amongst your students now me too <laughs> <laughs> um um, I wanted to ask about um, coming back to mm. New York and family life and like this job and it could branch it into the pandemic and the, the experience of sort of returning to the city and the insanity of a new job and, and yeah. this, this life. Well, it's interesting because uh, the third time I retired from dancing, um, I had then had both of my degrees. I, I worked for Ailey for three more years, and I was married at the time, so I was doing long-distance marriage because my husband was in St. Louis. And I lived with um, two of my best friends, Antonio and Kervin Douthit Boyd, who also danced for Ailey when I was there. Um, and so when I finally left Ailey, uh, I thought this is now my husband's time. It's time for his career to really uh, blossom and for me to support him in the way that he has supported me throughout these many years. So he uh, was transferred to Houston and I was like, okay, well, we're moving to Houston. <laughs> and at that time we had uh, Jay and Layla were, were both born but they were really young i think layla was about six months old when we moved to houston uh, and jay was mm -hmm. a year and a half and we were there for six months i was adjunct uh, teaching at university of houston um, and that's when uh, i was made aware that juilliard was looking for a new dean and director and so at first I was like, I can't apply for this job. First of all, I can't move back to New York because we've just moved here for Kirby's work and I have two small kids. And, you know, you, you said exactly this, <laughs> right, Jeremy, like the crazy insanity of uh, the New York world. I just couldn't see it happening. Yeah. Um, but as I got further and further in the process, you know, thinking about how would it work, 
we decided that if it were to happen, that we would live in New Jersey and not in the city. So I live in mm. South Orange, New Jersey, which is uh, I can walk to the New Jersey Transit stop, South Orange stop. I'm in the city within 35, sometimes 30 minutes. Wow. And then I take the one train right up to 65th Street. So it's a pretty easy commute. It's just the like the running. I am physically running yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the time uh, through the you know Penn Station. So listeners, if you see like this just like swath of huge <laughs> curly hair passing you by, it's probably me trying to catch a train. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been nice because I've been able to um, have, uh, create a very insulated so, sort of suburban life for our family. Yeah. And they come on the train with me. They come to Juilliard with me. They go to see shows. So they're exposed to so many different worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, and thankfully, my husband was uh, then transferred to an office here in New Jersey. So everything worked out the way that it it, it should <laughs> and how old are the how old are the kids now um my son's birthday is uh on march 7th tomorrow and uh he'll turn eight years old eight. and yeah eight years old and my daughter is six going on 16 for sure <laughs> yes <laughs> And then you have like this whole gaggle of other children that are, you know, <laughs> right. your students at Juilliard. And I like my experience of being a, a dance student, like involved this kind of like sense of sacrifice or this mm -hmm. sense of like just doing what you're told a dancer dances. And I don't imagine that's true of like current young dancers in like the conservatory environment. And so for you, like, coming from my generation of dancers, like how do you, is that inspiring for you or is it sometimes challenging to relate to their needs? Hmm. Uh, it's very inspiring for me. Uh, being with the students and having a relationship with the students is the most fulfilling aspect of the job. Um, you know, it's a pretty challenging position, uh, but the students, they make it all worth it. Um, you're right in the sense that this generation of dancers train differently than we did. Um, I think that they are equally as serious and dedicated to the craft and they are so hungry to learn. But I think the way that we have to approach our pedagogical practices now um, has to change in the sense that there has to be a give and take in the classroom. Um, there has to be more discussion of like, why are we doing our port bra like that? And let's talk mm. about it. Um, and I think there's a lot more collaboration between uh, the choreographer or the director or the dean uh, or the teacher at the front of the room with the dancers in the room. And that just requires uh, more conversation, more listening, more discussion. And honestly, for me, it's allowed me to get to know the dancers better. It hasn't been like a, a chore, like, oh, now we have to sit down and be in discussion. But I realize that it, it, um, it takes them to a, 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 it takes them further, right, in their learning when you can ask why and you can sit down uh, and have a discussion about the choreography or, you know, learn more about a choreographer's motivation or actually, um, you know, get your hands dirty and start to choreograph right along with them. A lot of uh, artists today are working in collaboration with the dancers. And so mm -hmm. we try to use that practice throughout our classes and our ballet classes, modern classes, everything, um, so that it doesn't seem odd that when they become professionals and they step into mm -hmm. a room and then, uh, you know, someone like Kyle Abraham or someone like Bobby Jean Smith gives a prompt or a task, they'll know what to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think um, language has been quite a challenge, uh, just learning um, about... Uh, 
and also I have a, a, a really incredible faculty um, who are also very hungry to learn and shift and change how they teach so that they you know are the best teachers that they can be for their students um, but we talk about a lot about language and we talk a lot about identity and things that um, you know even if uh, you know I, I think about uh, my time uh, growing up under Arthur Mitchell's uh, direction and Mr. Mitchell for me was uh, you know a god uh, he was a brilliant director and coach and was a personal mentor of mine um, and he taught by you know he was the person at the room he would say there is no art a-r-t without arthur you know that's the type <laughs> of person he was <laughs> lovingly but um students don't necessarily when someone you know, of um, high recognition steps into the room, they're not automatically going to give them the respect. So I yeah. think sometimes they get a bad rap, young students, that they're entitled um, or that uh, students, um, you know, are not necessarily educated. Uh, they just want to be in collaboration with the person and really get to know them uh, yeah. in that way. Yeah. Well, they're, they're skeptical for mm -hmm. a good reason. I mean, Donald Trump was the president, so, like, what kind of authority anyone has walking into a room is, is, is mm. to be questioned. Um, so that is tr a tricky dynamic. Right. I mean, respect sort of has to be earned through a kind of, like, conversation and trust, and it, it goes both ways. It can't mm -hmm. just be inherent in the situation. That's right. Um. And now you're in, you're moving, you're having a podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what are you hoping to do with this podcast? And like, is it, are you finding it to, that it's bringing you joy or is it a nuisance or? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and also I see on my Zoom that the time is short. Uh, yeah. Three minutes. Yeah. Will we come back on? We can okay. jump back on. Um, yeah. I've loved doing this podcast. I had no idea what to expect. And even before I started, I really wasn't an avid like podcast listener. Um, but it allowed me to be in touch with some of my closest friends and colleagues and learn so much about their lives that I had no idea about. Um, and this idea of moving moments really came... Uh, to fruition because, you know, sometimes I would sit in conversation with someone like Jamar Roberts, who was my dance partner for so many years and really good friend, and really ask, how did you become a choreographer? And I, I was there as he was progressing. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm privy to all of this information and conversation, and I thought it would be really nice to allow the world to hear uh, how they approach their life as a dancing artist, as someone constantly in motion, um, and how they, you know, have dedicated their life to a creative practice. So that's been wonderful. And I also learned uh, that if I were not uh, in the dance world or in this job, I think I would want to be an editor. I really love <laughs> this idea of taking a conversation that may have been like an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes and trying to find like the most beautiful uh, aspects of it to create a narrative, right? So uh, our conversations on moving moments are about 35 minutes, I would say, and it feels very choreographic to me, you know, just mm -hmm. the idea of taking out the things that may not um, be completely aligned with the question or might not get to the essence of the person. And then in the end, have this like really beautiful gem of a conversation. So um, yeah, wow. it's the, like the meticulous like <laughs> digging. And I should say also that I'm a serial purger. My husband hates it. I don't like mm. like papers out, like I'm a minimalist. And I think 
this really wow. speaks to uh, the editing aspect wow. speaks to the purger in me. It's yes. incredible. You're talking you're talking yeah. to two people who are hoarders who leave <laughs> everything in and just all the mess of it. Well, this, we have we have a different approach to our podcast but it, to an extent, but there is this idea of like sharing a mm-hmm. conversation to let other people into a world that they might not feel uh, like they have That's access right. to behind the curtain mm-hmm. so um yeah and for me i mean moving moments is, is it's it's so in line with this idea of like individual lineage mm. and sharing that and passing it forward it feels so i i it, for me it's it's telling of your approach mm. pedagogically of, of getting people in touch with other people we're off the zoom i'm getting back on the zoom I'm waiting for Jeremy to start the meeting. 40 minutes seems awfully short for a free Zoom meeting. But I guess, remember when it used to be free during the pandemic? People would give us stuff. Well, they're not giving us stuff anymore. Waiting for the host. We're back on. Oh no, that was so, that was so cutting. I know you were really right in the middle of such a beautiful thought, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Speaking of editing. (laughs) Keep it in. Keep it in, Jeremy. I monologued the whole time. Oh, did you monologue? I did. I always do. That's good. I love that. Um, I love love this thing that that consistently comes up, which is this, in in, um, moving moments, which is this idea of grit. Mm. And I'm I'm curious about um, the origins of that for you. So um, every year, uh, a good friend of mine, her name is Daiquiri Smittick. She was the <laughs> company manager. Uh, do you know Daiquiri? Really? No, I just thought that was uh, a great name. Daiquiri. Her name, yes, Daiquiri. <laughs> it, it suits her wonderfully. Um, she's a very up person, a very social person. I, I was like, wow, your mom really... Um, did that for you uh, with that name. Uh, but Daiquiri also was such a, a, a key person in running the Ailey company so beautifully when I was uh, dancing there. And every year we would come up with like a hashtag, like a theme for the year. And I think the first year that we thought about this, instead of doing, you know, having a New Year's resolution, we were like, let's live by a theme that we want to, you know, continue through Mm -hmm. and so my first year was grace and grit and this idea that you know as a dancer or you know as a person really to to uh, live with purpose through this world yes you want to see all the beauty in life and all the joys and as a dancer you want to make it look effortless most of the time Um, and then there's this underlying grit like sometimes you just have to dig your heels in sometimes it's going to be really hard Um, But with the two, it's like the yin and the yang. So I I always like to talk about that because I feel that so many people see the finished product, right? You see what Mm -hmm. we present on stage or you see what's on social media. um, And there's a lot underneath that grace. So I like to kind of know about the grit part, too. Just... Yeah, I mean, I think it was Arthur Mitchell who was like, show some, show the work in the yes. Wendy Whalen episode. He's mm-hmm. talk about like, no, show them. You don't, don't hide everything. That's right. You know this perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he'd often give me that correction because you're like, I'm sorry, I'm too good. Uh, no, I just <laughs> it's like so the easy. thing I knew so I could easy. lean on was I always had extension. I don't know what it is. There were other things that did not come That's... easily. Like I'm not yeah. a natural turner, or, like a big jumper. Um, so those things were harder, but when I had something that it was like really leggy, he would always be like, don't just throw it up there. You got to make sure people <laughs> think that it's hard. <laughs> Showing off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so good. Alicia, if you are ever at a loss for who to have on your podcast, you just go back to our history. We've just look at all the people we've had. You can steal any of them. It's been years since they've been on because we don't have guests anymore. Oh, I see. <clears throat> well, maybe you two will come on and talk about talking about dance. You can <laughs> you, you can just play this episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
what are we what who's who's coming up on the on the podcast what do we have to look oh my for? god that's the best question oh, wonderful yes yeah, so we're still in the first season uh and we have already uh aired um chloe arnold misty copeland uh james whiteside and wendy whalen and upcoming we have uh the queen uh sonia taye and uh my queen carmen de lavalade uh, yes um kyle abraham michael novak and there is one other person there mystery person <laughs> um, but i've also uh very, very I took special last... guest <laughs> <laughs> um oh Bobby Jean oh, yeah. Smith. I knew oh, I couldn't fun. I couldn't miss out Bobby Jean and Sarah Mearns, two other yeah. incredible yeah. uh queens. And uh and I have actually recorded most of season two. Wow. So I, wow. I'm trying to get ahead of the game because wow. during the school year it's hard to to be in conversation. So I was really busy over the summer yeah. being in conversation with people. And you're the editor. And I'm the editor. Yeah. It's really wow. good. I, I, she does it all. They're they're pretty timeless. I don't I don't remember clocking any sense of like when when yeah, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. I've really enjoyed the editing process, and I do have a co-producer. Uh. Her name is Jessica Handelman, who has been amazing at helping me uh, figure this whole thing out. Mm-hmm. And uh, her company is called Artful Narratives Media. And so she's helping me to get the word out to actually um, upload all, everything onto the various platforms. And she's been incredible at marketing and advertising, as well as uh, another uh, coworker uh, named uh, David Kraus, who actually, he was the reason that I uh, started. He has a, a new podcast called Speaking Soundly, and it's all about musical artists. And he had me on as a, a musical artist, being a yes. dancer. And we had such a wonderful conversation that it sparked the idea of, of having uh, hosting my own podcast. Are you a podcast listener? Now I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. wasn't uh, before that, uh, before the summer. But I've been uh, listening to so many specifically dance podcasts to see mm. how um, people approach talking about dance and, um, you know, just hearing uh, various guests because I try to do some research, a good amount of research before uh, each, I, I interview each guest and, uh, Artful Narratives Media also helps me to prepare uh, for the interviews. And, uh, you know, so many of the guests that I have, they're so well known. They've been on podcasts before. So I like to hear their stories in their own voice, sort of similar to what you all uh, did before this interview today. <laughs> um, do you th- We prepared? Is that the- you're getting a sense yeah. of that? <laughs> wow. We well, I knew who, prepared, I know who you as, are as anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then well. who do you imagine is listening or who do you hope will be listening to your podcast? Mm. Yeah, I hope that this podcast has a, a wide range of listeners. I think that people who know dance very well and who are familiar with the guests, I hope that they learn something new that they didn't know before about the, the guest. And that I think, you know, hearing about their various experiences in their own voice is really special. But I try not to get too uh, deep in the weeds with dance vocabulary and very dance specific things Mm -hmm. so that uh, someone who's just interested in learning about a really cool person would enjoy it and can follow along. you know, uh, fans who may not understand all the different details and um, aspects of the field. We avoid that entirely by just talking about movies and recipes <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> I love a good recipe. I follow um, like the New York Times cooking yeah. uh, favorite, page favorite. on Instagram. And I, I pretend like I can cook and but then I never really do. So, Is your husband cooking at home? 
he does most of the cooking actually because with uh with my work i'm not usually home before seven um so he helps to you know prepare everything for the kids they eat basically one meal so it's not very hard um and um but he does most of the um the cooking now yeah and are you actually cookies i like to do that you make cookies is that what you're saying i love cookies yeah Mm. i do that we oh i learned this thing about cookies from some new york times youtube video about uh chilling chilling them is like crucial Mm -hmm. which i i didn't know anything i never i'm like i've been making cookies for 20 25 years. <laughs> and a little Never bit of salt. Mm. Yeah. Delicious. We, the, the Claire Saffitz dessert person cookbook came out a couple years ago and I've really worked mm. my way through basically the whole thing. So if you ever are feeling ambitious about baking, I okay. think get, get that book and go through. Cause it seems, oh. of course there's a whole chapter on cookies and Alicia, what we've learned about you is that you don't sort of half-ass anything. You really do research and then <laughs> you get MBAs and then you go back to dance. You keep going back to dance, which is something I understand. It keeps drawing you back in. Yeah, it yeah. does. Um, wait, what else was I going to ask you? The children, the food. Do you ever eat in the Juilliard cafeteria? I have been there. Um I don't normally, this is so sad, but I don't normally eat during my work day. I I realize that I don't schedule lunch. You know, I just go straight through. And when the students have lunch hour, I have office hours so that they can meet with me. So I I watch them eat and then I, (laughs) but but I have like a snack uh, drawer Uh and it has all sorts of goodies in there and we've also um two things that we've initiated at juilliard which have been really um i think key for our whole uh community um we did a study on um food insecurity amongst the students Mm -hmm. and realized that uh although the staff can afford you know to to you know buy food and uh support themselves that way we rarely have the time and so mm. two things that the school did uh, last year that were game changers. We started a, an oatmeal bar in the morning that um, <laughs> it happens from, I think, like 9 o'clock to 11. And when you walk up the stairs to uh, the Juilliard School, you walk inside and then you walk up to the security desk. Right behind the security desk is this huge like oatmeal bar with two huge vats of oatmeal and then like <laughs> fresh fruit and you know, sugars and different things that you want to put on your oatmeal. And this mm-hmm. idea that uh, if, if a student, a young student, you know, college students, if you can't afford or don't, didn't have the time to feed yourself, that you could start with this really, like, hearty, healthy, warm mm-hmm. breakfast, which I think is a really beautiful wow. nod to the wow. community. And everyone... Um, partake so the students, staff, faculty. So many times, I I I, I uh, uh, dip into the oatmeal bar, yeah, and um, you know there's Indy across the street. Actually, now it's not. We there. love Indy. Stop. What do you mean? Yes. Nope. Uh, Indy was just um, I guess uh, sold, and there's another cafe in there now. This is a tragedy. Cafe. I love. Well, I'm going to have to get my hands on a fake Juilliard ID so I can come in for oatmeal. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Oh, and then the other thing is we, we have farmer's fridges in our, uh, in our building now. They are like, um, salad vending machines. Oh, so these salads, they're fantastic. They come in these huge like jars and you go to the monitor that's on this vending machine and you choose what salad you want and it comes wow. out and it has like the dressing in it and everything and it's restocked every three days so it's super fresh and oh, I, I i go to our farmer's fridge a lot uh to eat incredible yeah. alicia i i feel so happy that like the these Juilliard kids are working with you. And I, I, I know they're in good hands because I've been watching them this year in the mm. Cunningham collaboration show they did yes. at BAC. And then I went to the winter concert and they're looking as incredible as ever. So 
Thank you. And you probably saw me like the loudest person in the audience cheering like, yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, but, and, and also thank you for joining us and, and allowing yeah, us to us. participate in your new venture. And yeah, and thank, thank you for you. doing the podcast. This great is great conversations. Yeah. Awesome. And if, if you, you ever so want to come back and talk about food or movies or anything, you just let us know. <laughs> I just, would love we're not that. Talk about dance just again. as long as it's not dance. <laughs> okay, I'm down. We could talk cookies all day. Yes. And um, sparkling rosé. That's my other. Oh vice. wow! And we'll yeah. send you all of the uh, audio footage. You can edit it. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I could do your that. New, I could do new that. Love. <laughs> um. All right. Well, everyone, go listen to uh, moving moments. Right I mean, so you much. have already because we told you to. So yeah, and go you, watch you, the you wonderful students obsessed. at Juilliard and wave at Alicia. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, what's going? What's coming up, performance-wise? Thank you for asking. We have this spring will be dances out on Friday. So. Oh, perfect! Perfect timing. Um, spring dances uh, is on March twenty-second through twenty-fifth. We have four works this year. Um, the first is. Justin Peck's Increases, which is super exciting because we haven't presented work on point in quite a while, um, way before my time. And wow. our students are so hungry to, to do his work. Um, and then we have Hofesh Schechter's Political Mother, an excerpt from Political mm. Mother. Uh, also an excerpt from Mehdi Walersky's Blink of an Eye. And then we end with Camille Brown's City of Rain. So uh, it's a very diverse contemporary program that I think is really going to showcase the the range of talents that our students possess. Yay. Well, I'm going to come and maybe Jeremy will come from the country. Ah, and I am going to go see Dancing. I want to see that so bad. Congratulations. Alicia, just let us know when you want to come, and I'll make sure the producers get you tickets. Oh, thank you so much. I would love yeah. to. I have so many friends in the in the show, so I want to support them. Uh, please, everyone support Dancing. <laughs> yeah. Now, now everyone has so much to do, so get going. That's right. Okay. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Bye, Alicia. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. We loves you. Bye. We loves you. Hope you enjoyed that.